Hello, I'm Zev Neuwirth and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare. This is a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, bold solutions, and a renewed sense of meaning and purpose in their journey to advance a sustainable, patient-centered, customer-oriented, value-based healthcare. Folks, the views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or any organization that I may be affiliated with. Our focus today is going to be on digital health, and we're really fortunate um, to have uh, a guest on our show, Aaron Martin. Aaron joined Providence St. Joseph's Health about three years ago, I believe. He came from Amazon, where he was an executive. He was North American Director of Kindle and Print on Demand Services. He is currently an Executive Vice President and the Chief Digital Officer at Providence St. Joseph Joseph's Health, where he's also managing uh, managing general director of Providence Ventures and responsible for over $150 million in investment capital. Um, he's been responsible for uh, a number of startups that have spun out of the uh, Providence Ventures. Um, and basically, he's responsible for all the digital, web, mobile, and online marketing channels for Providence St. Joe's. Uh, Providence St. Joe's is a huge integrated delivery uh, network system. It's composed of over 50 hospitals over uh, 800 practice sites. I believe there are over 20,000 physicians um, and it's a company that uh, is over 20 billion in revenue. So it's one of the top three or four uh, largest systems in the United States. And so it's a, it's a great pleasure to have uh, Aaron, to have you on the show and uh, welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So, Aaron, you have uh, a really uh, fascinating background. I've, I've, we've never spoken. I've just read about you. I've heard about you from lots of uh, friends and colleagues and admirers of yours. Um, and, and I've always been curious, what exactly did you do uh, at Amazon? What was your role? What was your job? What's your background? Um, I, again, read about it, but not coming from that industry and, and for the listeners, for sure. Could you tell us a little bit about what it is that you did at Amazon? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I, I had kind of two roles. Uh, the first one was basically integrating two startups that Amazon bought back in 2005 uh, that eventually became their self-publishing business and print-on-demand business. So little known fact, um, you know, today authors through a service that we created called CreateSpace can self-publish uh, a book uh, both a physical printed book as well as a digital copy of their book on the Amazon platform and distribute it globally, get paid in a single currency. Um, and so uh, and so we implemented basically print-on-demand facilities um, in, in, in three continents. Um, and what it's allowed you know, authors to do is access an audience directly without having to go through a publisher and much better economics. Um, and so it was very disruptive to the publishing industry. Um, and then, you know, several self-published books came out of, uh, out of the self-publishing industry that became big. Uh, one of them is Martian. Another one is Twilight. Uh, third one is 50 Shades of Grey. Those all started off as self-published books um, that eventually um, were acquired by publishers. Uh, once they became, they got traction and became big. Um, and so, so that was the first role that I had. And then the second role um, was then I was uh, I, I worked on Kindle after it launched and ran the North American trade business there. And what that it means is 
the largest, you know, publishers in the United States and Canada, um, you know, my responsibility was to help them get uh, on to our, our new kind of Kindle digital platform and start selling, uh, you know, um, uh, globally. And so that's, those are the two big, you know, big roles that I had there at, uh, at Amazon. Mm-hmm. What, uh, so there you are at, at Amazon, um, and these sound like huge uh, jobs. And, and I know I've uh, read and heard about you, you know, talking about this issue of disruption and, and, and the role that Amazon, the role you played in disrupting uh, different industries. What, I'm just curious, what enticed you to, sh- I mean, what seems, seems like a pretty market shift in career path to decide to, to go into healthcare? Yeah, it was a, an interesting story. Um, you know, so I was kind of at Amazon, kind of minding my own business, really enjoying my experience at Amazon. And, you know, I, I always tell people that I would have stayed there until I retired. Um, you know, I really, really enjoyed working there. Um, the people there are incredibly smart, uh, incredibly forward looking, incredibly innovative. And I, I have some of my dearest friends uh, who still work there um, or, you know, or worked there in the past. And so, you know, I was kind of a lifer. And, um, you know, what happened was, is that there is there was a, um, uh, a recruiter who I knew personally uh, from my time at McKinsey who a- approached me and he um you know, he would usually approach me about, you know, some other job at some other big technology company. And I would tell him, look, I think I'm working for the best, you know, big tech company in, on the planet. Why would I leave? And so, you know, I never would be interested, but he and I would keep in touch. And he um, called me one day and he said, look, I've got this totally out of left field opportunity for you. It is very different from anything else I've ever talked to you about. Um, it's, you know, in, in healthcare." And you really need to go meet um, uh, uh, Rod Hockman and Mike Butler, who are the two uh, gentlemen that run this health system called Providence. Um, and honestly, because I live in Seattle and the local affiliates, you know, uh, uh, brand was Swedish, I, I'd never heard of Providence. And so um, so I, I, uh, I was intrigued. I met with uh, uh, Rod and Mike and they just blew my hair back. I mean, these are two... Um, healthcare executives who, who think very, very difficultly, differently than what you would expect a healthcare executive, um, how they would think and how they would reason. And, and, and basically what they told me is they said, look, you know, we're, we're undergoing a huge change in healthcare. It's becoming much more consumer driven because of the advent of high deductible plans and, and, you know, transparency, et cetera. And we understand that we've got to transform the way that we do business fundamentally you know, move our customer relationships from, you know, kind of offline to online and make a a radical transformation and disrupt our own business models. And if we don't do that, somebody else is going to do it for us. And they understood the the kind of maxim that, you know, if you, if you, if you disrupt your own business, you at least have a vote in the future. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, uh, you know, they kind of had me at hello, if you will. And so, uh, and it was one of those things where I started thinking a lot more, about how I could apply, you know, you know, digital in a healthcare context to where it would really kind of help people, um, you know, access healthcare more effectively, uh, get it more efficiently and at a lower cost, 
and a higher quality that, you know, it's one of those things where you start thinking about the job you could be doing more than the job you are doing. It's probably time to kind of to, to, to make a shift. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the other thing, too, is I, I also had worked in healthcare in my prior life, you know, over 15 years ago. And I actually worked in a, uh, a home health business that was a venture backed roll up before business school. I studied healthcare at business school at, at Wharton. Uh, they have an amazing healthcare management program there. And then, um, and then I consulted in healthcare afterwards. And so I knew kind of what I was getting into. I knew that, you know, it's a very, very complex industry, highly regulated. And it wasn't, you know, this, this, this task is not going to be easy. And so, um, so, you know, that's kind of how I, 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 uh, I, I got involved with Providence, uh, St. Joseph's. And, and so coming, coming from Amazon and how many years were you at Amazon? Uh, I was there almost 10 years. So I was close, you know, kind of nine and a half or so. And so, and so you, you come into healthcare and, 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 and yes, you, you had been exposed to it before, but what, what in the, in the way that you, while you were at Amazon and the way you thought about product development and design and, and just, you know, uh, your, your customer and consumerism, when you walked into healthcare and again, you haven't been back in, 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 you know, it's only been what, three years or so. Yeah. What, what kind of, you know, what kind of like reframes did you bring? You, you, you're walking in, you're seeing people do things and think things and say things, and you must be saying to yourself, this is not the way I think uh, what I would think about it or how I would think about it is this way from a consumerist design perspective or what, what were some of those big, like, my, I think a bit differently about this. Yeah, I think, I think one of the biggest things that like, you know, uh, Rod, Mike and I talk about constantly is, um, you know, there's a, there's a, a saying at Amazon, you know, start with a customer and work your way backwards. And so I don't think we do that a lot in healthcare. And the reason is in the past, healthcare really hasn't been, you know, a a B2C business. It's been a B2B business. It's really been a relationship between government and private payers and, um, you know, these, these big, you know, healthcare systems and that's changing. So now the relationship's got to be between the consumer and, the, the health system. And so I think, you know, it's one of the things that I've kind of really kind of worked with the teams on, not only my own team, but with other teams is, you know, think, think about the customer and work your way backwards from that. You know, what do they need? What, what are their, you know, um, what are they trying to do uh, when using your product? And so, you know, put in healthcare terms, for instance, instead of just thinking about, you know, quality, which is important, Think about, you know, the concept of um, patient-reported outcomes, right, which is a, is a proxy for something I'm saying in kind of healthcare speed, which is, you know, if I have a, a knee replacement and I play soccer a lot or whatever, you know, like the patient probably cares if they're going to get readmitted to the hospital uh, for, you know, a revision surgery. I mean, that's certainly, you know, an outcome they don't want. But more importantly, what they're really looking for is how can I do what I'm expecting to do after that, that surgery or after that procedure or after that visit? You know, how can I play soccer again? That's really their fundamental measure of did the service deliver what I expected? 
And if it can't, then you need to set that expectation up front, right? So that's an example of, you know, kind of an idea that was already kind of floating around in healthcare, but, you know, patient reported outcomes is a very customer centric way of thinking about quality, right? It's like, how are you going to gain more functional use after something has been done to you by the health system, you know, um, is, is a good example. So that's one area. The other area is, you know, most of, I would say, how Amazon scaled uh, when I was there. They went from kind of like 2005 to 2000, almost 15 when I was there. Um, there, there were kind of two things that really allowed them to scale, I think, I suspect to this day. One is they, 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 they made two big changes in their culture. One was um, the notion of a, what we called a service-based architecture or a service-based, you know, um, you know, business model. And, and, and what that means is the technical description is, is that anything you build from a technology standpoint, you, you, you basically are standing it up with a set of APIs, with a set of, you know, service level agreements to serve any other team's function so that you don't have to constantly rebuild the same technology over and over and over again. You're basically creating a service and you build that service once and for all. And then you're standing up effectively a storefront and you have internal customers that allow you to engage with it through this, these te this technology called APIs. And you can kind of extend that metaphor, and they did even beyond the notion of, you know, this the, the, the actual technology. And so what started to happen is even if you were a non-technical team, you started to have the notion of an internal set of, like, service-level commitments to other parts of the organization. Um, and so people effectively started to set up kind of small teams that were – um, that, that provided services to the rest of the organization. So it would happen in HR, finance, et cetera. And you, you know, held yourself and, and your team accountable for, you know, kind of being responsive. So that was one cultural change is that kind of, you know, building these small self-encapsulated teams that could basically, you know, build and run and innovate these smaller services and, and create internal commitments with each other, um, both on, on the technical side and non-technical side. The other big change that happened that allowed it, uh, that organization to scale so effectively, in my opinion, is the implementation and the in, in, indoctrination, if, if you can use that word, of the, the leadership principles there. And, and, and that is a big, big deal. And it's just a different way of thinking about management and leadership that is, you know, um, that, that in, in comprehensively is pretty unique to Amazon. But I think over time, you know, when you read these leadership principles, no rational person would probably object to them. And so, for instance, you know, a good example and one of my favorite leadership principles that, that you know, that, that I think is incredibly valuable is, is uh, uh, vocally self-critical um, is a good example of a leadership principle. And what that means is, you know, am I willing to learn? Am I willing to basically you know, call mistakes that I made and then learn from them and not try to kind of paper over them and really kind of expose them to the rest of the teams and demonstrate learning. You know, there's several, there's, you know, other leadership principles as well, like think big, bias for action, those types of things. 
But what they did was is they started to, after they kind of wrote these leadership principles down and they used as few words as possible, but that could convey meaning as effectively as possible to the rest of the organization, they really started to screen people for those leadership principles and really reinforce them in, during the review process, et cetera. Most of the reviews within Amazon are about those leadership principles. They have less to do with, did you get from point A to point B on your business? And more, you know, how do you lead um, your, your teams? And the reason why that allows them to scale is, is if they're on the same page with their leaders about how to lead, then it gives them a lot more autonomy because everybody is kind of al- already signing up for doing the right thing and, and, and leading in the right way. Um, and so I think, you know, kind of that, you know, that, that service level, you know, that service, that's the um, service-based architecture, you know, of the organization and then the, the leadership principles, I think are two big ways that they were able to, to scale and think differently. And then you, the third way is, 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 you know, having that customer mindset. I think those are the three big things that, that are, are different about how Amazon operates versus, you know, like say a typical healthcare environment. And, and focusing, I, I mean, I think this is really fascinating that in the first few minutes of our conversation, uh, you know, most people might assume we would be diving into, or you would be diving into technical, you know, talk. And, and instead you're talking about leadership and culture and, uh, service and, um, you know, and, and, and a customer orientation, which I, I just, I, I find that probably very, very telling and very important, uh, in terms of your, your Amazon success and your success. Yeah. What, what about the, let's dive into the customer issue because this is really new. My experience in healthcare is even today when, when, uh, I, I talk about customers or consumers, a lot of, uh, a lot of people, physicians, other providers, even leaders still, uh, you know, want to go back to this idea of patient, not customer. So what, what are some, you know, I, I again, kind of going back to you, your culture at Amazon, what, what principles or approaches or heuristics did you bring from that customer or consumer orientation to healthcare? And, and how do you think that really advances or elevates, um, you know, the way we treat patients and outcomes as, as you were describing before? Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of things, you know, that I've observed. One is, you know, I think, I think the, 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 the person utilizing the service is a customer all the way until they have what we would call it at Providence St. Joseph's, the sacred encounter with the caregiver or with the, with the clinician or the physician. Right. Um, so, you know, I think then it's, it's a different relationship and I don't know if, if patient is the right word, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's more of a, it's a, it's a different, more intimate relationship uh, within that context. But everything that happens before and after and, you know, alongside that is a customer service issue, right? And the thing is, is like, you know, when you get to that sacred encounter of, you know, the, the, the interaction between, you know, the, say the physician and their patient, you know, that is a one part, you know, a healer type of encounter, which is, is, is very rare in the world, period, you know, period. 
And then secondly, it's more of a professional services relationship than anything else. So, so, so to give you an example, a customer service relationship is one in which, like, you know, I'm just trying to make the customer happy, right, um, and satisfied. A professional services relationship may be one in which the customer may not like the message that's being given to them. So, like, for instance, it's, you know, like a physician may say, look, Aaron, you got to cut down on the carbs. You got to start losing weight. Like that may not make me happy. Right. Or Aaron, I got to give you some direct kind of feedback about, you know, your lifestyle or I got to give you some direct feedback about, you know, um, you know, doing some things, you know, in recovery for your surgery that may be painful and you may not, you know, totally enjoy. Right. That's Mm -hmm. that relationship between the clinician and the patient is totally or the relationship between a nurse or, you know, somebody who's kind of taking care of a patient who's in recovery. That is a different relationship than a customer service relationship. That's a caregiving relationship. It's almost like a combination of being part of the family, being a spiritual advisor and being in a professional relationship. Right. It's very, very different. And I think, you know, if you go too far on the extreme of not understanding that um, you're in danger of, of, of missing the whole point of healthcare, right? So all that said, all this stuff that happens around that sacred encounter, though, needs to be much, much more customer-friendly and customer-oriented. So, for instance, and the way I always explain it is, is if you, you know, if you are um, um, a consumer, you know, going to your phys- appointment with a physician and we literally make your life miserable from a like complexity you know mistake basis you know all the way up until having that sacred encounter in that room in that exam room with your physician and then simultaneously you know we have created all kinds of friction and noise for the clinician before she goes into that room with the patient um they're both parties are going to be highly distracted, right? And so you're probably even going to impact care, even if it's something as simple as we screwed up the billing or the EMR was too complex or, you know, whatever it might be. It's distracting from, from, from what both parties are there to do, right? So like what, how my team thinks about it is how do we remove all the friction from both sides as much as possible so that we can get out of the way as an organization and as a, um, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a technology provider, et cetera, t- to where that, that encounter is a lot easier, uh, for both parties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really very helpful. I, I've never heard anyone describe it quite that way. I, I like your, your kind of uh, complimentary, the, uh, consumer uh, or customer relationship or customer service relationship. And then you've got a professional service relationship. So it's almost like, you know, kind of a CSR and a PSR, but they're both really important. Um, but, uh, but I even think it's, 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 it's even beyond like a, a, a physician or a nurse or mm-hmm. a caregiver's relationship with a patient, at least in our health system is well beyond even a professional services relationship. I mean, you're dealing, you know, when I deal with my lawyer, my lawyer may tell me things I don't want to hear. That's a professional services relationship or, or my consultant may mm. give me, you know, tough advice. Right. Um, you know, they're there to help, you know, to give me the truth and to do the right thing. But that's a professional services relationship. But like clinicians are 
two steps further. I think they, you know, at, at the best, they're also, um, they're also kind of, you know, there, there's the caregiving aspect of it, which is beyond the, 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 the advice and the clinical work. Hmm. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's caring about the patient. And then there's, um, um, there, there's almost a, a spiritual aspect of it as well, right? Um, that I really believe, you know, should be there. And if we start kind of like, you know, if, you know, and this is coming from somebody, you know, executive at Amazon, um, if we start to kind of like, you know, interfere with that part of it, I think we're, we're going to lose something in, in, in healthcare. Mm-hmm. So, but I do think where we, we need to, you know, really focus our efforts is everything around that, what we call again at Providence St. Joe's, that sacred encounter to make it super convenient and easy and friction free for both parties to get there and to be focused on what they're there to do. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it sounds like the work you're doing is, is, um, is supporting and perhaps enhancing both that professional relationship. And as you're saying, what you're calling that those sort of sacred moments, if you will. Yeah. Um, is it, is it, is it more than that? I mean, you know, I, I think about, uh, some of my customer experiences, um, outside of healthcare and, um, there, uh, some of them, you know, I would say, uh, really kind of reach pretty deep with me. Um, when I yeah. feel really cared for, uh, you know, and again, even outside of healthcare, how, how do you, I mean, do you see any part of what you're doing as, as being able to, to reach that elevation that I agree with you that, uh, for sure, uh, the, you know, a really good caregiver relationship with a physician or another provider, you're, it goes well, well beyond anything that's transactional. Yeah, I, I would say there's two parts to it. One is, you know, at, at Providence St. Joe's, I think what you would, what you would find is, um, the, the vast majority, um, you know, I would say almost to a person, um, you know, the, the caregivers here, and that's what we call any of our employees, but especially the, the frontline caregivers, the ones that touch patients all day long, um, they, they, you know, they are, they're a highly empathetic group of people, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, because of the, just the nature of what they do. And, um, and so I think my team's role is to provide all the tools possible to where they could really, um, extend that empathy even further and to, to make the best use of it. So for instance, one of the things that we've talked about internally is, you know, how do we use technology, um, you know, with the, you know, where the patient is kind of participating in this and gives permission to get to know the patient even better before they even kind of walk through the door. Right. Um, so, you know, make sure that we understand what they care about. Uh, we understand the whole patient and not just, you know, um, uh, you know, some sort of data that's on an EMR. Um, you know, it's, it, and so like, you know, how do you use digital to, uh, to, to convey, you know, that, you know, um, that information to the caregiver who, who in our case, and I think this is probably true across healthcare generally, um, who wants to be empathetic and wants to get to know the patient, but is, you know, super stretched for time. Mm-hmm. And it's got, you know, a lot of demands on their time and a lot of distractions. Well, you know, since you're, you, you raised that issue, uh, I mean, this has come up uh, a lot in, in, in this podcast series. And quite honestly, it's a, it's a day-to-day 
conversation uh, and, and, and the experience of uh, almost every uh, physician uh, and provider that I'm familiar with, this whole issue of burnout and yeah. uh, some of the um, uh, time pressures and other uh, stressors that have been placed on providers uh, by the addition of technology. Uh, you know, uh, what, so what's, what, what are your thoughts about that? Cause you, you all use, uh, an electronic medical record just like everyone else. And, and now you're layering another, uh, other layers of digital technology on top of that. How, how do you see that whole situation and how do you see yourself and, and your group working to, to improve that? Yeah. So I, I think there's a couple of things, um, you know, that we, we kind of, you know, kind of key things that we think about. One is, you know, the, the, the downside, you know, of the EMR is it, it, it has turned some of the most highly trained individuals on the planet, the most highly educated individuals on the planet, um, into, uh, data entry clerks. And that is just not acceptable. Uh, and so how do we, um, get them out of that business and back to kind of, again, you know, it's getting rid of the friction uh, of caring for, you know, uh, of, you know, the stuff that's not um, all about, you know, taking care of the patient. Right. And so that is, you know, a major focus of my team uh, on, on, on that side. Second thing is, is when we do deploy new technologies, one standard in which we kind of, you know, measure it is, are we making the process faster and easier for the provider? Right. And generally, if you're creating more convenience for the consumer, believe it or not, you're also probably cre create if you do it correctly, you're 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 also creating more convenience for the provider as well. Those two th things are highly correlative um, is, is what I found. And then, you know, the last thing I would say on, you know, on it is, you know, going back to the beginning of the discussion about the Amazon leadership principles. There is um, there's a big leadership principle that I don't think is followed really well in healthcare, and it's called innovate and simplify. And what they mean by that is, you know, the reason why those two words are put together in that same leadership principle is it's actually pretty easy to innovate. It's really hard to innovate and make something simpler, right? Um, that's the key, right? Because it's really easy to kind of like decide I'm going to put, you know, some process in digital um, and actually make it worse. Um, that's pretty straightforward. And I would argue that that's what's happened a lot with the EMR. Um, what's harder and takes a lot more thought and time is how to create that innovation w while making it simpler for all involved, right? Like taking out all the unnecessary pieces of things, right? Mm -hmm. And so the way that we kind of think about that on my team is we use, you know, the lean product methodology where we basically start with what we call the, the, uh, the, the mentally viable product, which is a very simple use case of like, how are you going to solve this problem in the simplest way possible? And then we start looking for, you know, important edge cases after that versus, you know, what's happened in the past in product development, especially old school product development, you know, um, before the kind of the teams building the internet kind of came along is, you built these kind of um, these 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 products that were um, going to solve for every possible edge case, and you saw this early on with like packaged software. And the reason why they did it that way is they shipped software. They would literally ship out CDs 
or they would ship out, you know, they would have to go install it on, you know, servers. And, um, and so what they, they would have to kind of con- contemplate every possible, you know, use case because it was incredibly expensive uh, to be wrong, right, to, 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 to miss something. And so if you remember some of these early software packages were very, very non-user friendly. Mm-hmm. It had less to do with the technology. It had more to do with, like, you know, just somebody wanting to make, make sure they hit every possible, you know, edge case, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, what you've seen a lot in the development of products over, over time is the Internet allows you to um, allows you to make changes much, much faster and push them into deployment. Mm-hmm. And so you can iterate a lot, lot quicker. Um, and then the last thing I'll say about it, you know, with respect to healthcare in particular, the big difference between, you know, pure technology companies like, um, you know, Google and Apple and, and to, to a lesser extent, Amazon, because Amazon is not a pure technology company. It's a huge, you know, offline component to what it does. But is that, you know, when you're developing a new approach to something or a new technology, a new way of doing things, um, you know, a lot of the product development and the engineering, um, you know, that cycle can happen very, very quickly because the thing implementing, um, you know, the instruction set is, is a machine, right? It's a computer. Whereas in, in healthcare, it's not that simple because, you know, if you're going to build a new process, um, you know, you've got to get humans to kind of execute on that process. And that is a, you know, that's not as simple as kind of loading code into a machine. You've got to basically train them, get their buy-in, you know, um, you know, answer questions, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and really kind of, you know, it's, it's a much longer process. So you can't iterate nearly as fast in, 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 in healthcare as you can, say, using computers. Um, and so I think there is a, there's a fundamental, you know, um, there's a fundamental, uh, you know, rate limiting factor at, at how fast you can in, uh, you can innovate in, in, in healthcare, mm-hmm. but but it's not, you know, it's not it, it's it definitely can be a lot faster than it is today. I can tell you yeah. that. Yeah, let me pick up a little bit on that. And I've I've read uh, some of the work you've written um, uh, on blogs, and and you talk about this. And let's so kind of entering into this issue of uh, disruption or, or disintermediation. And you talk about um, two ends. Uh, uh, I think you call it at the ends of the industry value chain or innovating at the ends of the industry value chain. And, and, and I, I love this image and I, I'd love to hear you talk about it. And one is you have on one side, you have the creator of the service or value, and then you have the customer. So those are the two most important participants or stakeholders, and then you have a lot of intermediaries. And yeah. it sounded like at Amazon, um, Amazon understood that and so really tried to get itself into uh, this, uh, the, you know, in, into really connecting the creator to the customer and disrupt uh, uh, the others that were in between. How does that apply to what you're doing uh, in healthcare? How do you think about that uh, creator-customer relationship and, and, and what you're doing in the middle? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the key things, you know, there's several things that, that Amazon understood exquisitely well, which was 
that their job was to collapse that value chain as much as possible, right? And take some of the steps out and make it much, much simpler. So the example of self-publishing that I started off with, you know, this, the self-publishing, the, the, the actual publishing value chain, the traditional one, it was very complex. It was horrible customer ex- experience at the beginning for both the author and the consumer, incredibly inconvenient. And, you know, intermediaries consumed a lot of the value creation between the author who created value and the, con- and the reader who consumed the value that the author created, mm-hmm. right? And so the fundamental, you know, exercise that you always go through is, like, what is actually necessary to connect those two? So going back to the other discussion we had between, you know, the caregiver and the patient, you know, those are the two, only two people actually needed in that fundamentally needed in that interaction, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, you could basically think through, you know, all right, so you need like somebody to generate the bill and somebody, you know, to do this and do that and do that and do that. So like the, but, but really that the person delivering the care and the person consuming the care are the only two that are fundamentally necessary in that relationship. And so if you start off with that premise, then you kind of work backwards from, all right, so if you look at the current process, you know, what could you disrupt or or remove from that current process, right? Um, What could you change about it? And, you know, in healthcare, they've been doing a lot, you know, we've been doing a lot of thinking around that, obviously. So for instance, you know, one good example is, do you really need to deliver that care, um, you know, in a clinic or in a hospital? Can it be delivered via kind of, you know, telehealth, for instance, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that's one way of kind of starting to collapse that value chain and remove costs and waste out of the, the value chain. So that's the first thing that Amazon kind of thought about. And then the second thing that they understood is even if you're collapsing the value chain and making it more efficient, more simple uh, between the fundamental two, two parties – the second question is, is you need to constantly be building relationships with those two parties to stay relevant. So whether it be the consumer or, you know, or the creator of value. So in our case, the patient or the provider. Right. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of what my team thinks about is, is, you know, the best way to endear yourself to either party is to, you know, make their lives easier. Mm-hmm. Right. And create a better, you know, uh, uh, a, a better, you know, value proposition, whether it be a lower price, a better customer, more convenience, um, you know, a better service, higher quality, whatever it may be. But, you know, you got to think about both sides of this and, and where publishers and, you know, really didn't understand before we, you know, before self-publishing really, you know, took hold is that authors were their actual customers and they were treating their authors really badly. You know, like I'm talking about brand new authors. If you're an established author like Stephen King or whatever, you're treated like royalty, right? right? But if you're a brand new author, you weren't treated very well, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, how can you – so all we did was create a better value proposition for that author, which is, you know, instead of having to wait – you know, instead of being rejected 99.9% of the time from a publisher – you know, let them publish. So anything they submit, they could publish. You know, that's one way of improving their experience. Another way of improving experience is pay them more, give them more of the piece of the total overall book um, royalty. 
And then the third thing you could do is, is, you know, instead of it taking a year or two to publish their book, if you do by some miracle get a publishing contract, uh, publish it in four hours, right? Instead of, you know, a year. You know, so there's certain things that we just kind of looked at the dissatisfiers to an author and we just, you know, knocked them off, you know, point by point by point. Same thing in, in, in our, in the, uh, the businesses that we're building here, um, you know, consumers, uh, you know, in healthcare, you know, for instance, if they've got something small, minor and episodic, that's, you know, that's not a high acuity event. We built a platform called Express Care that allows them to schedule, you know, a same day appointment with a nurse practitioner in one of 33 clinics that we've launched um, with a very narrow scope of practice. And they can either go into, you know, one of these clinics could be embedded into Walgreens. Some of them are standalone and they're all in their neighborhoods. They're local and, and convenient. They can schedule it using, you know, one click scheduling mm-hmm. uh, on, on an app that looks remarkably like an open table type of experience. So something that they're familiar with, or they can schedule a telehealth visit, or they can have somebody, they can summon somebody to their home. Right. So we've taken that, you know, that experience with a consumer and we've made it a lot more similar to what they're used to dealing with, you know, kind of outside of healthcare, and a lot more convenient and compelling. Yeah, no, that's that's really I have to say it's super refreshing to hear you talk about the attention to the internal customer, you know, the creator of value as well as uh, the the uh, customer um and what you were doing, you know, and how Amazon succeeded in sort of disintermediating in that way um, and then applying it to healthcare it makes so much sense in that whole simplify approach. What, you know, uh, there's so many questions I have for you, Aaron. People talk about Amazon, either, well, two things. One is people in healthcare talk about, leaders talk about uh, becoming more like Amazon. And I, just read something, uh, the CEO of uh, UPMC, uh, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, was talking about uh, UPMC becoming, uh, you know, the Amazon of healthcare. Uh, I've, I've read uh, Th- Thomas Jefferson, the CEO there, has also talked about uh, just tremendous um, uh, uh, resources that are being applied to uh, creating design uh, uh disciplines and, and, and divisions within uh, their organizations. So my, my, I guess my, my first question is what kind of commitment uh, and clearly, clearly Providence uh, St. Joe's has made a commitment uh, bringing you on board. And uh, I've talked to your, your colleague, Sarah Vaezi, who you put me in touch with, yeah. uh, you know, you've got a, you've got a design innovation, digital, You've got this commercialization, um, so you've got a whole bunch of divisions. So I'm curious as to how big a, a and, and how broad is that commitment, and 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 then the second part of it is, you know, is it that we're going to become more like Amazon, uh, or is it that Amazon's going to become more like us, and and what is that that threat and that factor there? Because the you know, the, the idea that our our competitor hospital across the street was was really what we needed to worry about seems to be shifting and it's more our eyes really are on on groups like amazon so having been an insider at amazon i'm kind of curious about that as well but if you could tell me your commitment first and and what that's like and and are you unique in that or are there other organizations around that are really following what what you all are doing and yeah 
Yeah, yeah. So, um, so we're not unique. Um, I, I think you know that there's, and, and we partner with these other organizations pretty closely. So, for instance, UPMC is an example. We have uh, co-invested in a company called Zelf that we kind of co-created um, that was spun out of our our, our organization, and uh, UPMC has been. A highly co- collaborative partner in, in that that respect, and um, and a colleague of mine from Amazon actually works at UPMC. His name is Mark Stabingas, and he's a really incredible, incredible dude. Um, and so, um, so our commitment is um, is large. Uh, my team is, uh, you know, just in digital is is about two hundred twenty five people, and eighty five of them are software engineers. And most of them come from Amazon, Microsoft, Salesforce, places like that, uh, you know, startup environments. And so we made a big commitment in terms of our software engineering and our, our product development. But like, I want to put that into context. You know, we, we um, there's there's kind of three parts to my role. One is I, I, I'm the chief digital officer of our health system. Um, then I'm also I also run our um, our venture fund, which is Providence Ventures. And I also have a role on our executive council, which is a team that runs the health system. And those three things really matter because that that last part of my role really helps me understand context for you know how we are going to leverage digital to kind of further our strategy. And just kind of taking a step back, you know, our our, our commitment is large, but it's in the context of you know what we're trying to achieve. And so mm-hmm. what we're trying to achieve is. You know, like any big health system, we have a number of large initiatives um, that, you know, we're, we're heading down to kind of transform our future. And, you know, we have chosen to kind of enable digitally six of those. And I'm not going to go through all of them, but to give you an idea, um, you know, one of the areas that we've been working on, you know, very aggressively over the past three years is, and I mentioned Express Care as, as one of those products, is we call this uh, journey. It's a five to seven year journey. It's going to take, you know, a lot of time and it's a very complex, um, you know, set of problems to go solve. But uh, this journey is uh, one of six of these journeys is called um, Grow Commercial Share. What that means is, is, you know, we're a large mission-based nonprofit. And the way our economics work is, you know, we have to, um, you know, we, we make money on, the commercial, commercially insured business, we kind of break even in Medicare and then we lose money in Medicaid. Um, our job, our mission is to uh, serve all people and especially the poor and vulnerable as an organization. So how do you do that? Well, we have to be very competitive in the commercial side of things so that we can afford to fund um, our mission. And so what falls from that is, well, okay, so if the commercial population is important. What do you what are what do you what do you do to kind of you know make your organization more attractive to them? Well, it's been a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about, which is making it more consumer friendly and more digitally enabled, because you know most of the commercial population is online, searching for our services online, and they want to work with us online and, and digital. And so the the journey that we we go down and the way that we approach it kind of weaves into the, re- the the different components of our 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 innovation strategy. And so the way to think about it is you start with this journey like cr- grow commercial share. One area, you know, one then you break it down into smaller digestible pieces and you put a value 
on them from a clinical return, you know, on investment as well as a financial return on investment. And you try to really kind of understand the size, scale, and scope of that opportunity. So you take the, the journey, you break it down into these opportunities that you can execute on within, say, 12 to 24 months. And so the express care um, example that I used before was, you know, the, the problem statement there was a lot of our patients are having problems, our commercial patients are having problems getting access to into primary care. And a lot of times it's because of they're, they're having a low acuity event. So we're losing that customer to other more convenient you know, venues of care. So we need to solve that. And so we built Express Care to go solve that problem. And it's been highly successful in doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then once you, but, but once you kind of like, you know, define the problem in the area, then we go through this process that we call the tech cascade, which is first, make sure you don't already own the technology to go solve the problem. To go, don't go out and buy or build new stuff if mm-hmm. you already have, you know, a technology to solve it. So for instance, if, our EMR already solves that problem, or if we already licensed some technology to solve that problem, go ahead and use that. If we haven't, and if we don't already have it, then we'll go out into the market and we'll look for um, some existing company that is already crushing that problem. And so that's where Providence Ventures, you know, that our venture team gets involved, along with a, a partner of ours called Avia. And what they do is, you know, is, is go and scan the marketplace and look for companies that have ex- exquisitely solved that problem. So the example, you know, one example I'll, I'll throw out there is a company called Kairos that solves the provider search and match problem. So we don't want to go out and build that. So we went and we found a great company that goes and, you know, helps us basically pull, you know, um, our provider information from our sources of record and create a better web experience for finding our providers and a better uh, call center experience. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. If we don't already have it and we can't find it, then and only then will we build it. And so we have that's the reason why we have this big dev team here because mm-hmm. we found things like Express Care, another company that we just spun out called Zelt that allows you to prescribe any non-digital, I'm sorry, any non-pharmaceutical digitally enabled product or service, um, like an app content, you know, you know, something from Amazon, Mm -hmm. a lift ride, whatever it might be, allows a clinician to prescribe that directly from their EMR. Right. Um, that didn't exist in the world. And so we built it and then we spun it out. And then when we, when we, whenever we do build something, we always have an objective to commercialize that, that, that technology because, I'm a big believer that it's it's really hard as you know to maintain a technology's you know freshness and effectiveness within the context of a of a big huge organization. Um, and if you want a testament to that, you can look at the number of you know legacy EMRs that are now being pulled out of some very great health systems because they just couldn't keep up with the innovation in the marketplace because they weren't separate individual companies. Um, and so, you know, so whenever we go down the commercialization path, like with Zelf, you know, our first test is, can we deploy and scale it? Is it solving our problem? Then we'll usually sell it to another health system. So in the case of Zelf, uh, UPMC bought the technology. And then if those two things check out, then we'll, um, if we've innovated the product, you know, we'll look for a lead 
investor to go finance that product and that, that new company. And so in the case of Zelf, um, we had an amazing management team, uh, you know, take on the product and you know, they innovated the product and, and thought up, uh, thought up the idea. And, and then we spun out the company and they received, um, you know, four offers for their, their first financing. And they, um, they, they chose a DFJ, which is a great storied venture firm that, funded, you know, SpaceX and Tesla and, and companies like that. And so they're kind of off to the races. And so now, you know, that, that technology, in my opinion, has a much better chance of, you know, surviving and pro- proliferating versus, you know, kind of being captive in the four walls of, of Providence. Mm-hmm. Let, let me, Aaron, let me just uh, ask you uh, this question and jump in. The, the commitment you were talking about is uh, profound. I mean, you, I'm, I'm still I'm still blown away by you know the the number of uh, you know development people you have and software people you have over 200, um, and and that's just in that one group. But I mean, there's a commercialization group, and do you have an innovation group and a design group that are also in addition to that? No. So the 225, there are 85 actual software engineers. And then the rest of the folks are various different forms of, you know, uh, think, um, you know, product management. And so, you know, think, you know, that's that's a proxy for kind of people involved in innovation. They're the folks that are doing product ideation and and working with uh, Mm -hmm. uh, different teams, um, you know, in in our businesses. And so, you know, Sara Vazy, for instance, is part of that 225. And what she does is she, um, you know, works with the various different parts of our organization to understand what problems that they're trying to solve. And then again, get them down to the, that problem statement level so that our product teams can kind of determine again, do we already own the solution? If not, let's go find it. If we can't find it, let's go build it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you a question. This is something I've been thinking about a lot lately and, and writing a little bit about as well. We're talking and you're talking about, you know, digital and technology and, uh, you know, I think folks think about that and, and think, okay, I'll just buy an app or I'll just buy a product or a piece of software. What role does the whole prince, the principles of design play in that? And how important is design from your perspective? I think it's incredibly important. And I think it's, um, you know, and I think it's, it's an area that has been, you know, sorely lacking in healthcare because, Again, you know, if you look at some of the technologies that are provider facing, they're horribly designed. They're not intuitive. Um, and, you know, and it's, it's clearly that there hasn't been, it's clear that there hasn't been a lot of emphasis towards it. Um, and then certainly on the consumer facing side, it's even worse sometimes, right? And so a lot of what my team is doing is even if we found an, an external technology or we've got, already got an existing technology, what they're doing is, is, you know, a lot of times it's functionally doing the, the right and correct thing that we need it to do. It's just a mm-hmm. poor user experience and it's confusing. And so, you know, sometimes what my team is, is, is involved in doing is, is, is integrating that technology into a much more kind of um, uh, uh, easy to use and understand format mm-hmm. for the consumer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then I'm also kind of call out like, you know, there, there are health systems all over this country and we've been very fortunate in that. I think we've had 36 health systems over the past 12 to 18 months come visit us in Seattle 
and spend a day with us. And, and it's incredibly valuable to us because, you know, every health system has, you know, several superpowers that they've, you know, they've, they've kind of like, you know, solved some very important problems or they're down the path of solving some important problems. And because we don't typically compete with them because we're still regional uh, industries, they're more than happy to share. And so are we. And so typically, you know, there'll be a health system that'll come visit us and we'll spend half a day with them or a day with them. And they'll tell us about the work that they're doing and, you know, integrating their health plans, technology stack with their providers, right? You know, because they've got, you know, a similar situation that we do have in Oregon, for instance, which we're, you know, we're just now starting to think about, or they'll start think they'll, they'll talk to us about how they're solving problems in Medicaid because they, you know, they have had a, you know, a, a Medicaid uh, mix um, that's higher than what we've historically had. And now we're just now encountering that because of, um, of uh, you know, the expansion of the ACA. Um, and so they, you know, so all these health systems that solve these, you know, that are either have solved problems or down the path of solving these problems. And then, you know, what we, you know, share is our perspective on digital, how we're solving those problems, you know, that we, we've been kind of tackling. And, um, and it's very kind of interesting collaborative. And, and I think that's one of the strengths of the industry that, is still being underutilized. And, and so, so to kind of, you know, call out some exceptional organizations, I mean, if you look at like, you know, what Sutter is doing, they have a gentleman there named Chris Waugh who is, um, comes from IDO. And the, the guy is probably one of the foremost thinkers, I think, in terms of how to apply design thinking into healthcare, you know, because of mm-hmm. his background um, is one good example. UPMC is incredibly innovative. Um, New York Prez is incredibly innovative. Um, Adventist out of Florida um, has done some incredible work in digital um, out there. Um, so, you know, you, you as you get to know, the uh, Intermountain has done some incredible work around clinical and quality. Alina Health has done some incredible work in, in terms of, you know, um, you know, data and analytics. So you, each one of the, I could go on and on and on. Each one of these health mm-hmm. systems, you know, have, have cracked the code somewhere. Right. It, it sounds, I mean, given, given your, you know, clearly the commitment that, that Providence St. Joseph and these others are making, they, they obviously, you all leadership believe that this, you know, design approach and the digital approach is, is important if you're going to thrive in the future. Um, what do you, what is your, you know, crystal ball in terms of, you know, folks are talking about, you know, can, wanted to be more like the Amazons and the Googles uh, and the Facebooks and um, in terms of, again, the design experience, the customer experience, what, what is your, you know, what is your take even, what about, what about on the other side? Are these other organizations, are they, are they getting into healthcare? Well, clearly they are because I mean, it's in the news. Um, so it's no longer, you know, kind of secret, but uh, they're making moves to get into healthcare. What having been in that, in that industry, uh, the tech industry and at Amazon, what, what is your sense about the competitive landscape? Uh, is this something that, you know, uh, we, we got to really ramp up our game? Uh, are they, you know, so far ahead of us that it's going to be a challenge? Are we going to be collaborating with them? What, what, how do you see that future? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's not an either or. It'll be, you know, there, there will be certain areas of healthcare that will be highly disrupted. And then there will be certain areas of healthcare, and, and that's not necessarily because there's big players. It's just the advent of the technology, right? So, 
Um, so if you look at, for instance, imaging, my, my wife is a radiologist and fortunately for her, she's, you know, a high end body imaging, you know, subspecialist that's at a academic, um, institution. And so she gets the hardest of the hardest of the hardest cases. So it'd be a while before, uh, machine learning and AI kind of invades her, her, her domain, but for the simple, the more simple kind of radiology type of cases, you're going to see more and more of that stuff is going to be, you know, um, assisted by, uh, by uh, machines, right? And, yeah. and, and so, you know, which is great because the, the efficiency will go up, but what will naturally fall, fall from that is, you know, payers will understand that and they'll pay less per case, et cetera, et cetera. So that will be disrupted. Right. Same thing, right. I think, with, you know, very simple um, diagnosable uh, and treatable conditions, you know, kind of low acuity episodic, I think, you know, could be disrupted in the not too distant future using, you know, um, bot driven algorithms, you know, so AI, um, you know, so you, 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 you put in a certain set of symptoms and, you know, the, the, the machine will know there's a high likelihood that you have a UTI or whatever it is. Right. Um, so I think, you know, that's mainly driven, you know, by the, you know, the advent of these technologies. And if you look at any industry, I'm a, I'm a member of this, uh, group called Digital 50, which is a phenomenal organization. And they convene 50 chief digital officers from various different um, industries. Uh, so, you know, the chief digital officer for McDonald's is there, the chief digital officer for Volvo and et cetera. And, you know, it's the same story in other industries. Let's be clear. Like they're all, you know, any offline industry that's trying to move their their, their, their customers online is all subject to disruption the key thing is is to get there first and at least have a seat at the table and um, being being able to um, have some sort of vote um, if you're if you just kind of are passive and hoping it doesn't happen you you're going to end up like blockbuster right um, and then if you also look at kind of like what happened to blockbuster is twofold one is you know, how they failed was not only, you know, getting ahead of the technology and that kind of thing, but it's also getting ahead of the, the customer mindset, right? You know, like what is convenient, you know, what is, what is, what, what, what makes sense to consumers? And, you know, if, 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 if something makes sense to a consumer, um, you know, and it's more convenient, it's, you know, fighting it is like fighting gravity, like eventually it will win, you know? And so you've got to basically take the, the approach that, how do I get to that point as fast as possible while kind of maintaining the current business? Um, you know, it, it, it's an incredible challenge. It's the classic, you know, challenge that any incumbent has. Um, but I don't think it's so much as, you know, these large tech com technology companies disrupting things. I think it's more there's, there's a basic level of technology that will, might enable some of these, these, these technology companies to disrupt, you know, healthcare. And then the, the last thing I'll say on it is keep in mind, you know, I had a discussion the other day in a group uh, with system uh, health system executives and we we're talking about a specific digital technology. And they said, you know, we're having this debate about, well, you know, will this get adopted in healthcare as long as companies um, are under fee for service, you know, like, is it really, their, their, their whole question was, is, you know, the, the rate at which at-risk contracts are adopted by health systems 
um, you know, or, you know, or, or paid under risk, is that going to limit the adoption of the technology in question? And I said to them, look, keep in mind there are folks from outside of our industry who make their living in products, in advertising, in, you know, in, that create in pharmaceuticals, you name it, that create, that have revenue streams elsewhere that would support doing this for free, right? To where it, it doesn't even matter if it's in fee-for-service under a risk because there may be some other disruptor that's got a different way of, you know, of rationalizing giving that service away for free. Right. Right. I'm, yeah, I, I, I can see that. You know, it sounds like this, you know, from what you're saying. Like, I, like um, one more thing. I, I don't know if you remember this, but like back in the day, people used to charge for email. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I think you're, you're, you, what, you know, this kind of implication of, you know, another, another industry could give healthcare away for free and make it, you know, make their, their revenue somewhere else is a, that's a, just an incredibly disruptive thought. Um, well, I mean, think about it. It's, it, it is, again, it's like, it's one of the most, you know, intimate interactions you can have with a human is, is around healthcare. And so if you can, you know, if you can, if you, if you can create that value in some other way and fund it in some right. other way, that's pretty interesting. Absolutely. Oh my God. It's, it's super uh, interesting. You know, what, what's, I think what's really uh, encouraging about your perspective and experience is this understanding that design thinking uh, and, and digital health can actually solve a lot of the really core problems we have in healthcare, the issue of, of access uh, convenience, um, the issue of engaging customers, making it easier, not just for the patients or, or consumers, but also for the physicians and other providers, and therefore, you know, enhancing the entire environment so that you actually can have the relationships and encounters and that sacred, those sacred moments you're talking about. But even, even issues like growth. Uh, you know, how do you grow and how do you, how do you, you know, get access to more customers, uh, affordability? It sounds to me like, like this is going to lower the cost of care. Is that, am I understanding that message? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think what's, you know, if, 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 if we are, uh, I mean, one of the things I always kind of talk about is, um, this isn't optional. Um, you know, we, we can't afford the healthcare system that we've got. And one of the things I always kind of talk about, is you know to my to, to people who don't who who didn't grow up in healthcare and are you know kind of you know ex, like trying to understand the industry for the first time. So when I talk to my colleagues in technology, you know one of the stunning things I tell them is I I, would, I, I tell them like U.S. healthcare if it was its own kind of country and its own kind of economy, it'd be the fifth largest economy on the planet, which is terrifying, right? Like right. that means that. You know, it's it's bigger it's it's bigger than Great Britain and just south of Germany, right? And um, and so what that means is the U.S. healthcare system is by definition too big, um, it's too expensive for us uh, as a society, and it's consuming too many resources, and it's because of the demographic trends, it's only going to get worse. And so you know, this isn't one of these, and this goes back to the original discussion at the beginning of this, this whole talk, which is what brought me here and what really got me intrigued is, you know, Rod Hockman and Mike Butler really get this because, you know, this, 
this problem will be solved one of two ways. It'll be solved through innovation or it'll be solved through rationing. And most of the rest of the, you know, developed world has solved it through rationing. Um, and so I'm a proponent of innovation uh, solving the problem. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think to your point, you know, I, and I think it is a solvable problem. I don't think this is impossible. Um, I think it's super difficult. And I think that's the reason why, you know, so many people are getting are coming from outside of the industry into the industry because they they enjoy really hard challenges. You know, mm -hmm. um, they enjoy, mm -hmm. you know, this is the big one of the biggest ones that are out there is, is how do you how do you how do you how do you create um, more efficiency in healthcare? Mm -hmm. You know, Aaron, I'm cognizant of the time and I promised you we'd be off sooner at night, but I, I can't, you know, I'm having such a hard time uh, leaving this conversation. I, I can't tell you. I'm just, I just have so much, so many more questions and I'd love to talk to you more, but let me, I, I did promise you, I, I would, I, I know you've got other things to do and you've got other appointments, but I, I'm, I'm trying to know, you know, you, you're so, you may say you're not unique, but maybe, maybe it's just you're unique to me. Um, what is it? about you, what's inside of Aaron Martin that, um, you know, gives you what it is that makes you good at this, that, you know, makes you the right person at the right time in the right place to really help us move? What, 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 what qualities about you? What is it? Um, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm very unique outside of healthcare. And, you know, like, so if you kind of stopped any, um, you know, random individual at Google, Amazon, Microsoft, or uh, Apple, and, you know, and you kind of, or in a startup in, in the Valley or whatnot, who's been kind of doing technology for a while, they, you know, there's very similar common, common, commonalities in thinking, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's a, a bunch of stuff that is kind of settled law about how to think about innovation and digital and that kind of thing. I think, you know, one of the things I, I always talk about in terms of how people from outside of healthcare kind of enter into healthcare, I always talk about this, like they kind of go through, through three stages because I've, I've, I've been in, I've been back in healthcare now for three years and I've seen some of my colleagues kind of enter healthcare who, you know, who come from technology or from outside of industry and, and um, they, they kind of go through three stages. And stage one is this almost unavoidable, you know, state of hubris, which is, you know, I, I'm here to help. Right. Like, you know, just leave it to me. And, you know, and and the um, the, the reason is, is because they see things that on the surface don't seem to make a lot of sense in healthcare, right. And so they, you know, and, and a technologist's first disposition is to basically ignore that complexity and try to simplify it. Right. And, um, and so, and so there's this kind of, you know, first stage of hubris. Then there's this kind of second stage, which I call kind of like the pit of despair, which is you then realize, you know what, this is actually really, really hard, difficult and complicated and highly regulated. And, you know, these regulations are there for good reason because you're dealing with people's lives. This is not, Uber ignoring regulations around, uh, you know, local taxis and just, you know, what being willing to take the fine. This is, you know, this is, this is real stuff that if you screw it up, uh, people's lives are in, in, in jeopardy. Um, and so it, it, it matters. And, and so then they kind of, 
And then, you know, I would tell you that a lot of people, you know, leave because they're like, look, there's, there's a lot of easier ways to make money and to have a living than kind of, you know, solving these really, really complex, what in some time, in some cases seem like in, in, tan, in trans, in trans, you know, like hard to solve problems. Mm-hmm. And so, um, then there's this third stage where like you, you kind of come out of it and you, you kind of get to this, um, state where you, you, un, you can, you, you, you get the bug, if you will, mm-hmm. like people. And, and, and if you, if you know, like, you know, physicians and doctors, you know, so doctors and nurses and folks that have been in healthcare forever, they have that bug. They, they under their, their dedication to the patient and doing something good for society that's what keeps them in. That's what gets them motivated every single day. And, you know, a lot of folks kind of get that bug and they're in it forever. And, um, and I think what we need is, you know, and I think what gets you through that pit of despair and gets you to that, you know, that, that blissful point of like, wow, this is really going to matter if I can, can, if I can be helpful is, is a fundamental thing. Uh, I would call it, uh, you know, uh, intellectual curiosity. So, so caring about the details and understanding why things are the way they are, and then basically taking a fresh view on them, um, not just kind of ignoring it. And, and then, you know, having deep conversations with people who have been doing this for decades, you know, experts, but then again, taking a new kind of point of view on it. So, and, and testing that over and over with the, the experts and, and, and to make sure that, you know, it's, it's valid. So, so I think, you know, I've seen a lot of, so, so to answer your question, um, you know, outside of healthcare, if you went into the technology industry and stop any, any person in my tenure in any technology organization or startup, pretty much the same kind of, you know, guy or gal, right. um, you know, I think, I think the difference is, you know, like, you know, in, in some cases, um, you know, being curious about why things are the way they are um, in some other industries may not be as helpful as they certainly are in, in healthcare. You know, in some other industries where you're disrupting, you know, some, something that's much, much simpler and is less regulated and has, you know, uh, and is less at stake, it, it, it actually is probably a feature, not a bug, that you're, you're less concerned with the details. Aaron, you know, I, I, I get the strong sense that there is no other place you'd rather be than in healthcare. Is that true? Yeah. Oh, totally. Well, I mean, you know, it's unavoidable because my wife is a physician and my brother is a physician and my brother-in-law is a physician. So I'm kind of like surrounded by them. So, um, so yeah, but, uh, but I mean, you can't, you can't hope for, let's put it this way. I couldn't hope for a more rewarding you know, industry to be in. And I certainly couldn't hope for a more rewarding organization to be involved in because, you know, last kind of like, you know, pitch for Providence St. Joe's is, um, you know, we did 25 billion in revenue last year, but the more important statistic is we delivered almost 1.5 billion in free and subsidized care to the the poor and vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that is an amazing statistic that, you know, if you knew the 106,000 or so people that work in our organization, um, it's, they are very, 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 very mission driven and very focused on helping. Um, and is, you know, I, I feel privileged to, to have a, a, a tiny part in 
making their lives easier to do their jobs and to facilitate those sacred moments that we talked about. Aaron, I think Providence St. Joe's is very fortunate to have you. I think uh, we in healthcare are fortunate to have you. I'm, I'm glad you made it through your, your stages of uh, change and, and uh, in healthcare and that you, uh, you, you forged through that pit of despair and, and emerged uh, as the leader that you are. So I, I sincerely want to thank you for, for taking your, your valuable time to be part of this, uh, creating a new healthcare podcast. And, and I think you, you've absolutely helped us bring some, you know, fresh perspectives and new ideas and bold solutions uh, to really creating a, a more consumer oriented and patient centered value based system and, and supporting our, our, our providers who are, you know, the people every day, as you said, you know, doing the hard work and, and really delivering, uh, the value to, uh, to our patients and customers. And so, so anyway, I just want to sincerely thank you. No, you're very welcome. It's, it's been a pleasure having this discussion. It's awesome. Well, thank you again. And, and to our listeners again, thank you for joining us. This is Zev Newerth. You've been listening to Creating a New Healthcare, and I'm wishing you all good health and good living until, uh, until we meet again. Thank you.